Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is D, and welcome to episode 54 of the Benzo Free Podcast. It's great to be here recording this introduction today here in my basement studio looking around. It's pretty sparse. <laughs> it's not a finished basement by any means, but I did create a nice little office nook for me down here. It's home. It's quiet. And I feel at peace when I'm down here. And as you all know, we all need a spot like that, especially, I think, during withdrawal. But it's also pretty isolated, which is great for focusing and for recording a podcast, but as for socializing, <laughs> not so much. And I miss that. It's so great to email and chat with many of you throughout the week, but I still miss the face-to-face. -face. I'm actually a social person. At least I was before Benzos. You might, you might realize that since I'm doing a podcast, it probably goes hand in hand. But the truth is, we are all social beings. Even if we're introverted, shy, awkward, or fearful, we still have that need within us. You may not think that's the case, maybe not for you, but the truth is, studies have shown that social interaction can be a life-or-death need for most of us. A newborn baby will die without the love of a parent, even if given all the other essentials like food, water, shelter. When, when a prisoner misbehaves and the guards have to intercede and punish the inmate, often the harshest punishment available is complete isolation. Whether we like it or not, we are social animals, and in benzo withdrawal, that social need is hindered by isolation and by fear. I miss meetings. <laughs> yes, I said it. I miss business meetings. When I was working in corporate America, I'll admit, meetings were a double-edged sword. They definitely could be a time killer. And many days, too many useless meetings were the cause of another late night catching up on work. But they were also a chance to talk with, well, people, one-on-one. -on -one. For some of you, the thought of this type of interaction right now is terrifying. <laughs> Agoraphobia, anthrophobia, social anxiety disorder, misophobia, also known as germophobia, and the list goes on and on. Any fear or phobia can be escalated during dependence and withdrawal. And even for those of us who have never had those fears before, they can still develop out of nowhere. We can become afraid of everything, and being in the workplace can be a real big trigger for some of us. For me, it wasn't so much a fear of people that drove me out of the workplace during my withdrawal. It was more the pressure and the cognitive difficulties. 
I worked in IT, programming data warehouses for large corporations for a long time, but a very stressful job in my opinion. But now, any type of pressure, especially work pressure, can be unbearable during withdrawal. And if you add the need to multitask and socialize and learn new processes, procedures, and technologies, and even deal with the traffic just getting to the office, and perhaps you work in a large room full of people in a tiny open cube, and you have to learn how to deal with never having one private moment to yourself. Well, it gets to be a lot, and it adds up quickly, especially for someone who isn't processing stress at, well, an optimal level. For far too many of us, our career was one of the casualties of this experience with anti-anxiety drugs. And returning to work can be a daunting task. There are so many issues some of us deal with considering work, like memory loss, cognitive dysfunction, (laughs) severe anxiety, social phobias, physical symptoms, pain, tremors, discomfort, and on and on. But there was one that was a real surprise for me when I went through my withdrawal, and that was the sense of overwhelm. I I know many people pride themselves on the ability to multitask. I was never one of those people. I'm better when I'm monofocused. It's probably part of my ADHD. I don't know. Still, I used to be able to do a few things at once. But during withdrawal, it was one thing or it was nothing. And if too many things hit me, I would almost freeze, just shut down. And like I said, this was one of those sensations I didn't see coming. Nobody told me about this back when I started my taper, and and even though I'm so much better than I was, this one still creeps up on me now and then, as it did this morning at the grocery store. You see, one of my primary social outings now is an almost daily trip to the grocery store in the morning, where I get a chai tea latte, pick up a few things on the list, and even say hi to one or two people I almost know. I know for some of you, a trip to the grocery store was not even an option on some of those difficult days, but for me, it was my last connection to the world and has remained as a staple of my routine even as I have healed, when I look forward to each morning and still enjoy. But this morning, it was different. This morning, I actually found myself hiding in the far back corner of the store, by the toys. Yes, our grocery store has toys. Why? I don't really know, but it does. But I was back there because that was where it was quiet and no one would find me. And I just stood there, frozen, for a few minutes. I just shut down and waited. You see, this morning, too many things hit me at once. A lot of things. I I won't elaborate on the details, but suffice it to say, I was overwhelmed. So, I headed to the remotest corner I could find, and I just froze. Yes, it still happens to me now and then. Not as much as before. Not by a long shot. Nothing like it used to be in acute, but it still happens now and then. Most of my symptoms continue to improve every day, but I still have some symptoms. And now and then, I get overwhelmed, and I shut down, and I can't think clearly. And I know this is the case for many of you, 
It is a very common thread in our correspondence and one that can sneak up and attack us out of nowhere. The good news for me is that this minor meltdown passed quite quickly, actually, as it always does. And I remembered what I was to pick up at the store, well, most of it, and I got my chai and I made it back home unscathed. Like I said, this rarely happens to me anymore, but every now and then, I still get overwhelmed, and it's been a factor of my life for some time now. Most of the time when something hits us and it's just too much to handle, if we can just find that quiet corner, you know, by the toys, even if it's just for a minute or two, we recover. Our mind returns. We become unfrozen, and we can continue on with our day. In the end, this was not a big deal. And when we treat it as such, it actually goes away. But when we let it eat at us, when we let it remind us of what we lost, when we let it ruminate throughout the day, then it becomes a big deal. So many symptoms in benzo withdrawal can be major or they can be minor. And how we deal with each one makes a huge difference in their effect. I moved on from the grocery store, and I didn't let it bother me. In fact, when I came out of the store and forgot where I parked the car, which I do quite often, and I know many of you do too, I just laughed. And I said to myself, so? Or, or in the words I shared last week, it is what it is. And I moved on. I didn't think about it again until I was writing this week's script today. In today's episode, I have a wonderful conversation with Belissa that I get to share with you. She, she reminds us that this experience with benzos and other psychiatric drugs is what we make of it. If we focus on our symptoms, on our misery, if, if we let our irrational, emotional, fearful brain take control, trap us in looping, negative thinking, then this is going to be a difficult journey. But if we focus on positive messages, not blocking emotion, not pushing things aside, it's important to experience your emotions and let them process naturally. But when our minds are free, if we can focus more on positive messages, thoughts of healing, acceptance, love, compassion, then this journey can be one of learning, of self-discovery and renewal. I hope for each and every one of you that your journey will be the latter of those two and that you will find a way to turn this experience into one of triumph and rebirth, much as Baylissa has. Today we have an abbreviated format once more. We seem to be doing that a lot lately. <laughs> I've been so blessed to have some amazing guests to lead off 2020, so I hope you don't mind. But we will have our intro, which you just heard, followed by our feature with Baylissa Frederick, and close out our moment of peace. Our normal format with our mailbag and Benzo story will return in two weeks. And since today is a doubleheader day for the podcast, there will be no new episode next week. Well, actually, there is an episode next week. We're just releasing it today a bit early. So I guess you can wait to listen to the second part next week if you'd rather do it that way. Or you can listen to both today. But 
Either way, we will return on February 12th with a brand new episode in our regular format. And of course, before we move on, I would like to remind you that we need feedback. Questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, additions. This is your podcast. And honestly, the more I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes this community that we want it to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email us at podcast at benzofree.org or comment directly on the podcast blog post itself for others to see. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And one last thing, the Benzofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. And if you're listening to this podcast on one of our providers, Please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Now, let's move on to our feature. Our feature today is a conversation with Baylissa Frederick. This is part one of our two-part series with Baylissa. Much as we have done with other conversations in the past, we release both episodes today as a doubleheader. That way you don't have to wait until next week for the rest of the conversation if you don't want to. So, when you finish this one, please check out episode number 55 for the rest of the dialogue. Many of you know Baylissa. I know this because you have told me in your emails. She has been active in the Benzo community for 14 years and has helped thousands of people recover from dependency and withdrawal through her website, counseling, daily email messages, and of course her books. I am truly delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Baylissa, and I know you will enjoy hearing from her. But first, let's hear a little bit about our guest. Baylissa Frederick is a psychotherapist, coach, and author with two decades of experience working with people from all over the world. She holds a master's degree in therapeutic counseling and is involved in helping people affected by antidepressant, tranquilizer, and opiate physical dependence and withdrawal. She delivers keynote speeches on the subject, has provided awareness presentations to organizations including the British Medical Association and the Royal College of Psychiatrists, and offers training workshops to psychotherapists and counselors. She has been interviewed and quoted by newspapers and journals including the London Times, The Independent, and British Medical Association News. Baylissa is the author of the internationally successful self-help book, Recovery and Renewal, The Memoir with Hope in My Heart, and two journals, Dearest Me and Dearest Friend. She was prescribed the benzodiazepine clonazepam for a form of dystonia and survived an intense withdrawal experience when coming off it. She is now fully recovered and derives her greatest pleasure from helping others through withdrawal. So let's welcome Baylissa to the Benzo Free Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the podcast, Baylissa. It's so nice to have you. Oh, hello, dear. It's really good to be here. Thank you for, um, you know, this opportunity. Thank you. And I just want to thank you as well for your website, which is lovely. You know, I've had a chance to go through and it's really a great resource. And, you know, just to thank you for all the work you're doing in the community. Well, thank you so much. And I believe me, that's totally repeated back to you because your book and on your ongoing newsletters, I actually read those every time they come through because they have such the positive and calming and relaxing message that just... 
I think helps get the day started each day. So thank you so much for all you've done. You've been at this far longer than I have and, and to stick it out for that many years to work with the people that are going through this. We really appreciate it. So thank you for all you've done. Thank you. Thank you, Dee. Usually what we do when I have a guest on the show is we like to start out with your story. Would, would you mind walking us through maybe just your story with benzos and how you recovered and how you got back to feeling feeling healthy and, and renewed? Yes, certainly. Um, so I was born with dystonia. Um, when I was age three, it became quite pronounced. And, and could, can you explain that for people? Yes. So the dystonia is, um, it's an involuntary movement disorder. Mine is hereditary. My dad has um, a, a form of it and there are a few other family members with it. And so I was born with um, cervical dystonia, which is when the head tilts, mind tilted to the left. So that was very obvious from child, from birth. But then as I got older, I started, like I'd bump into furniture. Um, my head would look one direction and my body would go in another direction. Um, so I was what you'd class as a clumsy child. And then when I was three, I had my first episode, which looked like um, like I was having a fit, and a non-epileptic seizure. So they just allowed me to you know, have this, have these episodes and I was okay. And I had a relatively normal childhood. I couldn't do any sport or, you know, there were certain restrictions, but I wasn't really um, bothered about it in my earlier years. But I became more self-conscious as I got older. And um, I had been to the doctors and they just say things like, you know, try breathing. I did start transcendental meditation, uh, which I found very useful, but it didn't really stop the the spasms. As I got older um, and when I came to the un United Kingdom to live, they became really very pronounced and quite intense to the point where I went to the doctors. Um, I was proposed to by my fiancé, my then fiancé, went to the mm -hmm. doctors and I, he said, um, hey, I want you to try this. This was um, Tegretol, which is used for epilepsy. And okay. I was studying at the time and I remember taking it and sleeping throughout the class. So I went back to him and I said, I can't take this. You know, I won't be able to function. So he gave me 0.5 milligrams of clonazepam. And he said, this is a child's dosage. Um, it's fine. And, you know, I didn't know anything about clonazepam, which is um, clonopin in America, right. Rivotril in the UK and Canada. Mm -hmm. So I took it and I was thrilled. Um, you know, the first maybe week or two, it really... I went from having so many, maybe about um, 30, 40 episodes during the day to about five, three, you know, so I thought this is great. I'll be able to get through my wedding yeah. with no, you know, no drama or no um, spasms. About three weeks after, I just thought, wow, I started getting them so intensely and they were almost violent. And I thought, oh, 
you know, so this is like a real anti-climax. Um, yeah. It stopped working and I threw them in the bin. Oh, no. Yeah, I threw them in the bin in my bedroom. I thought, oh, these don't work. And about three days after that, I had what seemed, it felt like a grand mal seizure. Oh, wow. Which, of course, was my first cold turkey experience. Yeah. And I remember rummaging through the, the bin, finding it and taking it, and it calmed the movements down. Of course, I thought, oh, maybe I've developed epilepsy or something. Mm -hmm. When I explained to my doctor, he said, oh, you're going to have to take them for the rest of your life. And that began my repeat prescriptions, which lasted for eight and a half years. I'm sorry, seven and a half years. Okay. So almost eight years. Oh, that's, yeah. When did you, I mean, I know you had symptoms. You went through a lot of the same phases with acute, I assume. Yeah. When did you start to feel better? And I guess, how are you doing now with your symptomology? Are you fully healed or what do you consider yourself? Well, um... I'll just backtrack a little bit because I okay. forgot to say that um, as I as the years went by, I became more and more, um, you know, spaced out and um, ill. I just started having these terrible, you know, things happen to me with no explanation, which right. of course was tolerance. And they by that time, I was on 1.5 milligrams a day, um, the equivalent of 30 milligrams of Valium. And I started not being able to complete sentences and, you know, really bizarre things happening. And then one day I got lost on my way home. I couldn't figure out where I lived. Oh, wow. And when I finally found my front door, I remember going straight through and to my, at the time it was a PC, we didn't have laptops, to my mm -hmm. PC <laughs> and typing in clonazepam. And all I could see was you know, tons of hits saying, buy cheap clonopin. And I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm on an addictive drug. Right. That same day I found the Ashton Manual and I realized exactly what was happening. And then the following morning, I went straight to my doctors and I said, this is my problem, please take me off it. And that's how I, so that was my taper, the Ashton method. I had two failed attempts because when I got to a certain point, I started having very violent seizure type movements, which meant I couldn't work. Right. Um, I eventually gave up work because I had to, I knew I had to come off them. I had, I didn't put in my book my symptoms because when I did, the editor removed them. She said, if you leave this, nobody who buys this book will ever taper because I had oh, more than a hundred symptoms. I know. Yeah. That's, that's the hard message we all have difficulty yes. trying to relay is telling people the truth, but also keeping them positive and giving them hope. Exactly. How do you find that happy medium? It's an ongoing yeah. struggle. I know. So that that doctor you went to was was that doctor willing to work with you on a slower taper to come off of the medication? No, by that time I had well I got married and I had moved to Wales from England so it was a different doctor but okay. when I did see my notes I saw where the initial prescribing doctor had written as you know we can't keep her on this for too long but you know I didn't know that I saw that after 
Um, but so the doctor who prescribed the the Valium for me to taper off prescribed all the Valium at one point at one time. He literally oh. did a mental calculation, and I left the pharmacy with a handbag full of um, ten milligram, five milligram, and two milligram Valium tablets. Oh, and wow. I remember the pharmacist looking at me really worried, you know, like, yeah. oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did you switch over all at once then? or? No, I used the Ashton method. Okay, you know, I, I used the schedule, but I um, it wasn't supervised. I just did it on my own right, with a razor right. blade, flicking dust. Sometimes yeah. a half looked like a quarter, you know. Oh, I know. I can, yeah. So um, anyway, I made it off and I went through the withdrawal and I healed. I didn't heal fully, um, you know, all at once. Right. Um, there were residual symptoms, but they okay. too eventually went away. And I, yeah, I came out on the other side feeling so confident in my ability to cope and so not in an egotistical way but very humbly proud of myself yes. for having survived and just relief <laughs> you know absolutely absolutely i think that's wonderful that um do you consider if somebody asked you do you consider yourself fully healed now i'm 100 percent healed oh that's wonderful i'm actually better than i was prior to going on the drug I would agree with that. I I always tell people that I'm I'm not fully healed because I still have some symptomology, but I am better off than I was even before benzos because of those tools and the the things we learned yes. and also outlook on life. It's it's changed yes. us. And, it does. And it's so nice to hear from you that that you have fully healed because that's hard for me to to find those stories to share with some of the listeners of people who have fully healed. And everybody seems to be yeah. always looking for that. And so it's so nice of you to say that. Thank you. Yes. No, and I, just to share that there are thousands of people out there who are fully healed. Yes. Um, I don't know why, but it's really difficult to, to get them to tell their story. I know. I have the same problem. Mm -hmm. I, I I think sometimes what happens is, I, as I mentioned on the podcast, is that once you start feeling better and once you do recover, you kind of want to return to normal life. And I think for a lot of people, they want to put this behind them and, and they may not want to rehash it or revisit it too often. So I think that might be part of why, you know, the people who have fully recovered often move on and it is more difficult for yeah. us to get their stories to share. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. I actually, in the beginning, I used to keep in touch and, you know, we chat and laugh and they right. tell me how they are and people still do and they send me photos and so oh, on. Good. However, yeah, I remember calling this gentleman. He was, he went through such a traumatic time and I was looking for success stories for my book and mm -hmm. I called him and he burst into tears and oh. he said, Melissa, I love you very much, but I never want to hear your voice again. Oh, that's actually yeah. kind of nice to hear. I mean, that that's a, but you want them to heal. And sometimes we have to let go and say, you know, yes. yeah, it's okay. to. It's, it's like, it's like children. It's okay for them to fly and go be on their own, you know? 
It is. And I feel that way. Like for everybody who heals, we have that little moment, you know, where we, oh, you yeah. know, and I'll maybe cry a little bit with joy. And so right. with that person. And then it's like, okay, this baby is off now. Go live your life live your best life and be happy and some really you're right there's no attachment or selfishness you have to be completely selfless well and the thing is there's so many others who need that exactly. support so it keeps us but i've had the same thing with emails of people who have said i just think I needed to attach and not email you for a while. And I always write back and say, I think that's wonderful. You know, yes. go, go get back to living, do what you got to do. If you ever want to chat I with know. me, I'm here. You know, I do it. I actually kick people out of my group. Good. You know, it's like, you're better now. Go. Yeah. yeah. Go and yes. live. Yes. Go, yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You had, you had mentioned, and I, I want to hit this up early because it's such a topic I really want to talk about, of course, is Professor Heather Ashton. Um, you mentioned you discovered her her uh, manual online. And of course, um, Benzo Free is entirely Ashton-based too, so it's huge for us. And we talk about it all the time here. But you also, mm -hmm. of course, became a personal friend with her. Can you tell me about maybe your correspondence with her, how you got to know her and, and what she was yeah. like? Because this isn't something many of us really have in the community actual direct you know communication with her because she had already retired and of course now has passed away long before some of us came on the scene yes so um i didn't meet her while i was in withdrawal okay i or i should say I met her at the very end because i had started because i was journalizing some of what was happening I thought, and this is probably something you would have brought up later, but just no, um, because it fits in here, um, I couldn't find anything to give me hope when I was going through withdrawal. Yeah. So I remember one day just thinking, you know what? I'm no writer, but I'm going to write something. And I thought it would be just, you know, a little book that my friends, you know, in withdrawal would read with me. Right. Um, but so I wrote to Professor Ashton asking her to review the medical information in the draft, you know, and, right. um, you know, just to guide me and so on. So she did. Oh, but not only did she do that, she read the entire book and we started communicating then first by email and then by phone. And she was just the most wonderful person. Dee. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She was so loving. One regret is I never got to meet her or got to know her. I did. I was blessed that um, I reached out like you did when I published the book. Mm -hmm. And I reached out and John, um, her son, was kind enough. And so we had started correspondence. And so I was blessed to the fact that I know she knows of the book and he had read parts of it to her. Um, and yes. I was able to correspond with John, who had been so generous to me and so kind um, and so at least I felt like I had a, 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 a connection, connection to her through her yeah. son, exactly through her son. But the whole family is just so amazing and wonderful. And um, I was are. so sad, so sad for your loss and for everybody's loss when, of course, she passed yeah. away this past year. Thank you. No, yeah. she was. So what what happened was as I started helping people, 
we just spent all the time on the phone. So I would, and this was, you know, before I did work as a therapist with people in mm -hmm. withdrawal, I just, I used to spend all day writing to people and, you know, a bit like what you're doing now, all voluntarily supporting people. I'd right. finish at sometimes 11 at night. But yeah. if I found a case that was unusual, I'd be on the phone, Heather, listen to this. This lady, she's been on five meds and, you know, is she going to get better? And and she'd say, yes, Bela, so she'll get better, but yes. she has to give it time. And, you know, so she was very reassuring and very... um just very resourceful, very selfless and giving, you know, yeah. of her time. And then we just sort of became closer. Um, she loved anything to do with romance. So when oh, I would nice. go on date, she'd want to know when we'd give the guys nicknames. And <laughs> you know, I love she had that. a fantastic sense of humor. Oh, that's wonderful. She or she was just a joy. So, and you know, as she started maybe going down a little bit, so she had the mm -hmm. um, COPD, which made her okay. get a bit winded. And we chat, I chat her out, and she said, Okay, Melissa, I have to go now. I'll call you back when I get oh, my no. breath back. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> so, we had, and then I met her, we both spoke at the um. British Medical Association conference. Okay. And that was when I met her in person. Oh, that's great. I bet that was yeah. nice to finally actually meet her face to face. Oh, yeah, it was. Um, and she was even sweeter than, oh. you know, on the phone. And yeah, and then we just remained friends. And um, I spoke to her up to the time when she could no longer speak. Yeah. So just to the very end, you that's know, we wonderful. spoke. Yeah, whenever she had a, a goodish day, her son yeah. John would, um, you know, call and let her say hi to me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, was my heart broken? Absolutely. You know, she's just, but I just thought all I can do is, you know, just, sorry, it's a little bit emotional for me. But no, no, just, take your time. Um, yeah, just remember the integrity Mm -hmm. with which she worked and, you know, just make sure that I always do what I know she would approve of and right. just, yeah, just let her live on in my heart and in the work I do. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank mm -hmm. you for that story. I do appreciate that. It's, it's almost a, a, you know, of course her name has become legendary within the Benzo community. So sometimes we forget about the real person and it's so nice to have somebody share that, you know, with our listeners to give a little bit of background about the real person who, who yes. Ashton was. That is so beautiful. Yeah. One last thing. She was not into the limelight or, you know, um, recognition. She was just so just, who can I help? She didn't yeah. care who you were, what background. She was just so, um, I want the right word. <sighs> Sorry, I'm, I cannot find the right word to articulate just how amazing a person she was, just how phenomenal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank yeah. you so much. That's wonderful. There was um, one of the things I really valued um, is just not only did she tell us all the information we needed to know, but she did it in a way that told you you can do this. 
that yes. this is manageable. You can get through it. It was positive. I mean, she was a brilliant writer, in my opinion, because she found a way to say, hey, this is difficult sometimes, and it might be mm -hmm. hard at times, but you're going to get yeah. through this. You're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And that, I think, is one of the biggest strengths of, of her writings. Yes. And just so you know, she actually was a writer. Was she really? Written, I did not know. Yes. She wrote short stories, you know, that she sent to me all the time. She was also a painter. She did watercolor painting. She was very talented. She was a great tennis player and she played tennis well into oh, her great. 80s. Yeah. So just another side to her. Yeah. And her garden. She loved her garden. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's it's her self-effacing and, and selflessness of how she, yeah. I mean, she made the, the she made this manual free to everyone, mm -hmm. which I think is one of the most noble things somebody could have done. It's like anybody can access this. Anybody can find it. Nobody has to pay a cent. And, yes. um, and it is the best gift she could have left behind for those of us still going through this. So, okay, we will move on now, <laughs> but thank you for that. I really appreciate you sharing those stories. Um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some of your books. You've written several books. In fact, um, like the one I read, which of course is Recovery and Renewal, and that was originally published as Benzo Wise, I think, wasn't it? The yes. Recovery Companion? Okay. But you've also written yeah. books prior to that, um, Dearest Friend, Dearest Me, and and your memoirs. Could you maybe talk through a little bit? your writings, how you got started in writing different things, and what's available so people can know and maybe check out your books. Sure. So thank you. Um, I wrote first Benzo Wise. So that was the one I had gotten in touch with um, Professor Ashton about. Okay. Um, I didn't expect anyone to buy it. I, I honestly didn't. I thought it would just be. I had on online a little blog that I used to call lights in my windows. Okay. And while I was in withdrawal, I would go in the mornings and just type maybe a quote for the day or, you know, just something positive. And then people would join in and type their own positive stuff. And we never right. talked about symptoms or, you know, what drugs we were on or anything like that. It was really lovely. So um, Ben's The Wise became something I had written for those people. Okay. When 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 was that initially published? I was just curious, sorry. 2009, so 11 years ago. Okay. And it was published by a publishing, Iowa Campanile Publishing. But the book did so well. Um, and people with it, people in antidepressant withdrawal started getting in touch saying yeah. they, they found the book to be very useful. Also, by that time, I had started supporting people who were, you know, on SSRIs and, you know, other antidepressants who were coming off. And so they said, you know, please don't exclude us. Right. So I rewrote it. And instead of calling it Benzo-wise, I called it Recovery and Renewal. That's interesting. I've gotten some of the same emails of people from from SSRIs who aren't on benzos who've asked, you know, can my site, of course, yeah. is benzo free. So it's kind of clear that we focus more on that. But you're absolutely right. And, and, and probably the majority of the people who listen to the podcast are on more than one drug anyway. Exactly. Yes. 
because very often, and you know this, anyone who is on a benzodiazepine may have been on an antidepressant or still is, and vice versa. So, yes. Yeah. So I I rewrote um, the book to include antidepressants and then a publisher, Jessica Kingsley Publishing in in the UK, um, you know, offered to publish it. Well, actually, I had more than one publisher sort of fighting, you know, for the right to publish yeah. it, which is really encouraging. And so she published it. But I found that things changed so quickly in the community. I kept having to update it, and they didn't like, yeah. you know. So I asked her back for it. And that's how I got it back and republished it under um, Minelli Publishing. Okay. Um, Then I wrote um, With Hope in My Heart. Now, With Hope in My Heart was written to try to get people who weren't really on, you know, they who didn't need the book to read it because I wanted it to be a sort of um, educational book or promoting awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it worked in the sense of I rushed it. I wrote it so quickly. Okay. And I don't think it's a um, literary work of art at all. Oh, no. However, p- people love it. I prefer it to recover and renewal. And people, you know, who read it love it. But it is a little bit sort of Bridget Jones's diary type. But I think that doesn't that provide that connection, though, I think I think sometimes keeping it more raw like that. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's what they've said. The feedback has been brilliant. So that was the second book. The two um, that you mentioned, those are just yeah. journals. Okay. Um, and this is to do with my self-compassion work. Um, which is something that's extremely important. And I use it a lot with people in withdrawal because they tend to be hard on themselves. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see yeah. that a lot too. I, I found with the podcast that just like you have with your memoirs, that being as open and honest with the people I'm talking to has been a huge point of connection. And just people then can relate to those stories and it is so prevalent. And so it's those things of just sharing and being open about what you're going through that really, I think, allows the people to connect and say, yes, that's me too. I had that. And yeah. I don't know, I think it really it really helps us. Have you noticed that with your correspondence? I have, and I am very open. Um, maybe sometimes too much information. Yeah, but... I think me too. I sometimes go overboard. <laughs> well, I think what happens in withdrawal is that you see it all, you hear it all. And, you know, I've said yes. to people over the years, some of the things that people disclose, um, you know, in withdrawal, I've had photographs of, I mean, I have a video library and photo library of people's, skin stuff there you know oh, things yeah. on their bottom you know all yes. sorts of things that um, sometimes I think, <laughs> oh my gosh you know we talk about they'll talk about like what the feces look like and what they ate and what the content, <laughs> yes. you know all sorts of things so basically you go through withdrawal nothing shocks you and it doesn't 
It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I was talking with one person um, who also was going through the pelvic floor dysfunction issues and the physical therapy and what that process is like. And, and you know, and there's a lot of very, you know, personal, <laughs> you know, yeah. experiences in that. But it's nice just to be able to talk about it and laugh about it and be open about it. It is. It really is. I remember the wife of someone sent me some photos and I don't know, you know, I have to keep saying I'm not a medic, but she sent me some photos of his, um, he had surgery for a hernia and mm -hmm. she wanted me to tell her whether she thought it was, whether I thought it was an infection or should he go oh, to no. the doctors? And I said, <laughs> no, he needs to go to the doctors. But the, the photos actually showed his private parts as well. Oh, you're kidding. And I know. I thought, she sent me five, oh, no. and I thought, no, I don't oh, need no. to see this. But <laughs> no. That's just the openness, you know? It is. It is. And I know they came from a good place, and they were just trying to get help. But yeah, I sometimes it, it could be a little much. So, I yeah. did delete those because I remember I was coming back from America, and I thought, if if um somebody found those on your immigration, yeah, and they're like, what yes. are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a story to tell, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I know, I know the feeling, I know. But it's I think for me it's that connection though that makes me love this because the the people I correspond and I've only been doing this for a little over a year, but it's it's that that intimate connection. And it's so funny because sometimes when I'm emailing with people, I don't even sometimes know the gender of the person I'm talking to. And yet I've written to them five times yeah. because their name was, you know, Chris or something generic or they just gave yeah. me an initial. Yeah. And I love that because I've gotten to know these people without any pretense, without any, you know, I don't know what color they are. I don't know what gender mm -hmm. they are sometimes. I don't know what their occupations, what their status is. It's just yeah. two people who have gone through a similar experience connecting. Yeah. Unconditional positive regard. It doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't. Just, yeah. And I think for me, and I'm sure you agree, it's a privilege and a gift. I wouldn't change it for anything. Exactly. I actually started the podcast as kind of an aside thinking it might help support the website and the book mm -hmm. and the podcast and the correspondence that goes along with it has become my true love. I love this. And Benzo's, my experience with them gave me a new career <laughs> and yes. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out some of the, you know, financial and, and business aspects of it, of how to make it work. But I love working with these people they are amazing they are they really are and and they're they're all they're in need and they're hopeless and they're just looking for somebody to say yes what you have is real yes you can get through this and yes we've been there and we can help you yes that validation is huge and the hope the hope and the validation yeah. are really important yeah i agree You've been doing this essentially about 14 years, working with different people and, and things. So you've, of course, built up a lot of stories and also a lot of, I would think, some commonalities from different people you've spoken to. I was going to ask you what you've seen that maybe you didn't know going in or you didn't have personally, but that you saw was common in most of the people's experiences. I know there's a general rule that everybody's different, and I couldn't agree more, but still... 
I think in what works and also just in what people are going through, have you seen some things that are seem pretty common in the people that you've been corresponding with? Yes, certainly. Um, so in terms of what people go through, um, I would say that the, the um, being ill on the drug or things are going wrong and not being, not the, and the drug not being um, identified as the culprit right. tends to, to, to create years of illness, of mystery illnesses and issues that then lead people to either the Ashton Manual or an online forum or in some cases a doctor's diagnosis, but to, to the fact that this is withdrawal, this is what you're going through. So that right. tends to be the the norm when I hear a story for the first time. Um, another thing is, you know, just people being taken off very cruelly um, yeah. in detox centers and, you know, the horror stories. And sometimes I can actually, I know what the person is going to say before yes. he or she says it. So <laughs> I know that they'll say, oh, well, I was on clonopin and, you know, I went to the detox and, well, I'm on now. And I'm like, yep, Remeron, yep. Seroquel, a beta yep. blocker and gabapentin, you know, something exactly. like that. And you can, and usually I'm right. Yeah, there does seem to be the standard cocktail, a standard process that the centers have been using. Yeah, you know, that, yeah, or similar, but you, you know, yeah. Um, so there's that. There is um, the, the not being believed, so the lack of validation. Yeah. There is the, um, the distress amongst, you know, the, the family and the upset of family dynamics, um, the strain it can put on relationships. Oh, it is so trying on, on, on not just the patient, but on the people who try to support us, on the caregivers. Yeah. So that's another thing. Yeah. That's, that's so hard. Yeah. I want to thank Belissa for spending time with us today. As, as I said in the intro, speaking with her was just delightful, and I hope I get a chance to do it again soon please remember to check out part two of this interview in episode 55, which was released on the same day as this one. I have put links to Bayliss's website and other resources in the show notes on both episodes, so please check them out. And now, before we get to our moment of peace, allow me just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. 
feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we are going to return to a loving-kindness meditation. In this practice, our mantra is initially focused on ourselves, and then it can be directed also to family, friends, strangers, even perceived enemies. As for the mantra for today, it's your choice. Suggestions might include, may I be happy, or may you be at peace, or even may I be healed. You choose the mantra that fits for you. If your mind wanders from your mantra, just gently bring it back. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally and focus on your mantra. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your mantra. No judgment. Continue to do this for one minute. Next episode is episode 55, and it was released today along with this one. Thank you again for joining me today, and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, 
and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.